Hey everyone, it's JVL and Tim. Welcome to the next level, minus Sarah, but she will be here, but she won't be here. She's not here, but she's on the recording. It's Tim. Esoteric. She's here in a Esoteric. sense. Esoteric. She's here in a sense. Uh, what we're going to share with you guys today is some highlights from our Seattle show. We put out the whole Los Angeles show, and we're going to put out a little bit of the Seattle show. Uh, Tim, what did you think? Was it uh, was your Seattle experience magical? The Emerald City. I was so happy to be there. I don't really understand why people live in Seattle still. Um, it, it is pretty gloomy and dreary, uh, but they, the people there seem to love it. You know, so this is what makes up the kind of whole human comedy. You know, everybody, ha every to each their own, right? And uh, I had a lovely evening in Seattle. Um, Dan, as you will hear, kind of gives me the business a little bit, but I can. I'm a big boy. I can take it. And you know, we kind of uh, just went back and forth about. Our, uh, our arc, our, his, our frenemy history. Uh, and it was then so great to meet people, uh, the Seattle audience afterwards. Uh, that was really so fulfilling. And after we spent about an hour just kind of hanging out, kibitzing together afterwards, I drug maybe a half dozen people to the gay bar, including a few unsuspecting straights who I just think had a experience that they will really remember. So that, that's just a little bonus. That's what that's the kind of service that we're providing I'm here at the Bulwark. I'm very curious as to what I missed, because to be honest, part of you me wanted to go out. You would have been deeply uncomfortable. I wanted to go out and hit a gay bar with you, but... I was not emotionally capable of doing that after all of the touching and talking <laughs> following the show. I was I was sort of tapped out emotionally. I felt like I can't deal with any more human contact. Fair uh, was was the pony a good time? Uh, the Pony was great. Highly recommend the Pony Bar if you know you get to Seattle and have a strong constitution. Uh, the artwork there, I, I think, you know, might. Uh, offend the sensibilities of the, uh, you know, the board of the Stop Woke Act in Florida and uh, some some other people, maybe maybe in a few in the crowd. But so, would you take Mona with you to the pony? Boy. I think I would just because, man, Mona would never forget it. I mean, Mona would be on her deathbed and she'd be just talking about how much she loves Ben and how interesting her experience was at the pony. But um, I don't think I'd bring my own Mona. You know, yeah. Like my mother. I don't think I'd. Bring. Yeah. It sounds like it's like watching Boogie Nights with your mom. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. 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 Uh, all right. Well, it was a good time had by all. And you had a good time with Dan Savage. We we started the show talking about the Biden documents. And since then, we have a little bit more news on the document front. Yeah. Mike Pence has some documents. Everybody's got classified documents. JVL, have you checked your own library? Uh, um, I, I haven't. But I can tell you, since we moved, we probably have them in boxes somewhere. I think that there there are two interesting elements to the Pence news for me. One is, you know, and then not my party, and we get into this a little bit at the in, at the show in Seattle. You know, there's just this element of it's pretty obvious now we overclassify, and and Trump is now going to be able to muddy the waters between his own like intentionally illicit behavior, bringing stuff down because he wanted to show off the Cougars how classified his material is, and like not respond to the to the FBI. He's going to be able to muddy the waters between that and what is you know clearly more mundane across the board um, uh, behavior of of just not uh, maybe being as 
meticulous about classified material as people should be. But part of the reason is people aren't meticulous is because we classify stupid shit. You know, I, I quoted in the night my party, Michael Hayden saying, I sent an email where, I said, where someone said Merry Christmas to me and it had a classified label on it. So I think that there, there, that is one element of this that's interesting is, is kind of whether that this, you know, creates a revisiting of that. The other interesting element is more of the political side, JVL. I'm interested in your take about this. Did Mike Pence do this to screw over Donald Trump? Is this a, is this a little bit of you know he's like ooh I better be I better be uh, you know just just to be safe I better check I better check my uh, you know all of my boxes to kind of get Joe Biden off the hook here and demonstrate the difference between us and Donald Trump. You know I, I suspect that every person who has served in the White House over the last like twenty years has suddenly been running around saying hey get get the lawyers and go look through everything because <laughs> you don't because this is the amnesty period. Right. right. Like this is right now you find stuff and you turn it in. Uh, you're just part of the general crush of whatever. I would say to, to listeners about the overclassification, it is important to understand that this is not a new talking point that just came up when Joe Biden's stuff was discovered. This is for 20 years. Both Democrats and Republicans have been complaining about overclassification of government files. Uh, this is, and they complain about it for different reasons. Like from the left, the the it's like the government is trying to hide its secrets, and from the right, it's much more national security based. Which is when you try to keep everything secret, you keep nothing secret, right? And right. and so you wind up it's bad for national security, and uh, so different. And this was like, part of the nine eleven complaints, right? Like the interagency yeah. stuff, right? Yes. Which is like some, you know, that some of the agencies, you know, were, were hoarding information and you know maybe some information that would have been easily shared if it hadn't been classified. Exactly, exactly. And in fact, Obama passed legislation to try to like ease some of this. And, anyways, the level of bad faith in the people who are like, oh, well, now that it's Biden, you know, it's it's the same, same. And I, I this is why I have such uh, such low tolerance for it. And why I really do think, uh, well, screw it. Let's forget the optics. Let's just follow the law. Because the law and this stuff is pretty clear, and that's why the intent is is a big part of it. And, you know, like, the reason nobody's going, nobody's going losing their minds over Mike Pence finding classified documents is because Mike Pence didn't have his stuff subpoenaed. He didn't submit false reports saying he didn't have it and then didn't invent right. excuses as to why he wasn't going to give it. I mean, th that's why the FBI showed up at Mar-a-Lago, right? It isn't because Trump yeah, had classified law documents. law and order. It, it's the law and we order We need some party. law and order. You know, I feel like we right here are the law and order party, Tim. All right. I think that's probably enough preamble. It was great. It was great seeing you. It was great seeing Sarah. It was great seeing all the Bulwark people who were so kind and so thoughtful. Uh, and Tim, I think we should do more of these. I really want to do more. I just, I love it. You know, I know this is going to surprise you, JVL, but I don't mind a little attention. You know, I had one of my friends, uh, one of my old friends who lives in Seattle and came and was just was just miserable as he stood there watching, you know, people want to come see me, mm. you know, and I, I kind of enjoyed me watching him watching me. And so, you know, I enjoy that. Um, and it's just nice to kind of just just sort of feel the reality of the community. You wrote about this so beautifully. But um, I, I do think the cool part about this is that I think that the folks that went, and I heard this firsthand, found it very easy to kind of hang out with each other and meet each other, right? Because we just, you start with this common, um, uh, 
you know, actually caring about the same things, right? Caring about yeah. things that matter, having been through bullshit together. Maybe we went through bullshit all on the internet, but we all, we did go through it together. And so I, I think that's been really cool. And I want to, I want to get on the road. I want to get to the Midwest, bring Charlie out there. I want to get to the South. I think we should have the Rage and Cajun in New Orleans and, uh, you know, maybe go some other places. Now I did, we did have just really quick. I I sarcastically suggested that we have Erskine Bowls in North Carolina on the, uh, I've gotten the, emails from people asking when that was because they're like fired up to go see it. Ooh, Erskine Bowls. Are you guys going to be in Charlotte or in Research Triangle? That's not, that was not, that one wasn't real, but, uh, but we are going to do it. You're going to get out there. Yeah. Well, it's good. I look, I just need a refractory period to refill the well. And by 2035, sure. I will be ready <laughs> for human contact again. Great. Sounds great. All right, everybody, enjoy the show. Hey, and when you're listening, it's going to be me and JVL and Sarah at the front. We'll take a little break, and then it's just going to be me and Dan Savage, and it gets NC-17, so, you know, don't play that in the car with the kiddos. We'll see you guys soon. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Bulwark Live. I'm JVL. Here with my best friends. Sarah Longwell and Tim Miller of The Bulwark. Uh, thank you all for coming out on this beautiful night uh, with the wintry mix and the fog, and uh, it's, it's been wonderful. Uh, let's, let's all start with some bad news. More Biden docs have been found. Did you guys see this? Yeah. So the FBI uh, showed up to search Biden's personal residence in, in Delaware, which I do have to say is something that I have been assured by conservatism, Inc. could never possibly happen, right? Mm. We had to defund the FBI because they would never go and search Joe Biden. And uh, just like they assured us that uh, SBF, Sam Bankman-Fried, would never be prosecuted and then like 48 hours later is being arrested. Um, There is one key difference. So we saw like six documents were found. Uh, They seem to span the gamut of like Biden's Senate days to his VP days. There's a key difference here, and I I know, Sarah, you talk to some amazing people every week in your focus groups, and I am certain that all of them will understand that Joe Biden voluntarily invited the FBI to search his house, right? No. (laughs) Because that is, of course, the key part of this, is that the president has said to the FBI, yeah, you guys should probably come and poke around here, which, I don't know, is amazing. No? Oh, about amazing. Yeah, no, it's amazing. Because it's oh like, my. yes. Amazing? Amazing. Cheap pop. Uh, so, you know. Because he I knows know. it's the woke FBI that's going to search his house. So it's <laughs> yeah. not going to be a problem. They're on his side, JBL. Famous, the famously woke far left institution, the federal police. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, can I tell you something about the focus groups yeah. on this? Tell me. So I did just have a group, and we did ask, and I've got good news and I've got bad news. Good news is they do recognize that there is a difference between what Trump did and what Biden did. Mm -hmm. The bad news is they think that the difference is that Trump was president when his documents were found and therefore could declassify them with his mind. And Biden could have these, took these when he was not the president and did not have the authority to declassify them. So that's an important difference. Yeah. Shoot me now. Uh, So what, what does this mean? I mean, I, I am of two minds of this. You know, on the one hand, I think to myself, okay, this seems very bad. Uh, This is the kind of thing which can blunt good news. Could Biden's approval rating have been drifting up? There were even a few polls where he was over 50%. This is the kind of thing that sort of, you know, 
puts a damper on that rise. On the other hand, does, anybody, does anything matter? Right? I mean, people, people don't think that the insurrection mattered, basically, right? They have the same, the same political what? opinions they had pre-insurrection. <laughs> no, they haven't That's changed, right? It's like 2% of the country, like, like 2%. Okay, well, you know, it should have been 40% that flipped, <laughs> and it didn't. And so what, what, where do we go from here? Sarah, tell me. Well, Make everything okay, Sarah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Well, honestly, I think people should stop. Uh, I don't understand. Presumably with classified documents, people like track these things. No. Yes, False. they do. <laughs> I, I cannot, like it is wild that there are so many classified documents just rolling around. Um, so I don't know what to do about that. But uh, I do think that it is gonna have political implications. Probably not for Joe Biden, because you're right. The way that people use this is just as weapons against their political enemies. I do think it has political implications for Donald Trump in the sense that it sort of creates, uh, I mean, it lets him off the hook in the, it, from an optic standpoint. From an optic standpoint, once you have a very um, easy and obvious both sides, it creates something in the public discourse where, you know, now everybody's like, well, they're all corrupt. See, they all do this. And your key difference, which is that Trump, when asked where the documents were, were refused to give them back, and Joe Biden invited them to come to his house and find them, is not something that is going to like penetrate uh, deeply in the de into the debate. Is it possible that's like the dark Brandon strategy here, that he's muddying the waters to strengthen his weakest political <laughs> opponents in 2024? <laughs> because the, the Mar-a-Lago docs were kind of bad for Trump for a while, like as a political matter. It was, a, it was um, and I think, one of a number of things that was, and we'll get into 2024 in a minute, that was, that was weakening him. Um, and, and this has, like, let's just be honest, like, this has neutralized it as a political matter. I think that yeah, as a right. legal matter, right, like, there, there maintains an existing question. Uh, you know, I think that we finally, Trump fucked around and found out when it came to his, uh, when it came to his lawsuits this week, where, you know, he, he, was, he got a $1 million fine. Yay! Take his $1 million. We could like use that one million dollars and put it into like a public park or something where woke That's people can one thousand Trump NFTs. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so I, I think that he could get some legal consequences from this. Trump could still because of the difference that we're discussing. But like politically, like this is fucked yeah. as far as like as a political matter now. And and I, I think that like that's not Biden's fault. That's just the reality. I think it's good as I uh, you know said in the stamp show this week like that Merrick Garland has acted appropriately. That's good. That's nice. We can all give a little golf clap to Merrick Garland for continuing to act appropriately. But not, not politically in any way that is advantageous uh, you know, to Biden. So here's, I mean, looking forward a little bit, right? So we have two special investigations going on. Uh, it seems entirely possible that, you know, so we have, it's very important that you have Republican special investigators on both investigating sides. the Republican to prove that it's fair. It's also important that you have a Republican special counsel investigating the Democrat to prove that it's fair. And, That's true. and I think there is a reasonable chance that the investigation of Biden is going to come back and say uh, improper handling of classified material, but it doesn't violate any statutes because the statutes have to show intent, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it is also possible that the special investigation of Trump will come back and say, yes, laws were broken. At which point, there could be like a thing, right? Because then, I mean, it, 
it's not just a, a rally story. around the Trump. It's effect. a legal. This, this, right. this is the dark Brandon argument. This is the dark Brandon argument. I get the sense that a lot of people on our side, our side, which is our side, our side, <laughs> the pro-democracy side, think about this possibility and say, "Oh gosh, that would be really bad because." Then the other, you know, they'll think it's illegitimate. And I kind of think, cry harder, bitches. <laughs> like, like, we should just do that, right? If, if, if this, we shouldn't be afraid of if the special counsel wants to press charges in one case and the other special counsel doesn't want. Is that you, Tim? Is somebody of an animal collective ringer? <laughs> one cool person out there. Let's, let's hang out after. Um, anyway, we should we be afraid of if we get charges in one case and not Dude, charges in another? Dude, I mean, not to like throw this back at you, but your whole point, you said for a long time, they should definitely not prosecute Trump, or if they prosecute him, Biden should pardon him. I did. Because you understand that optics do matter and the legitimacy of these institutions do matter. And I actually do agree with you that like, you just have to follow the law and let the chips fall where they may. But the idea that that won't have enormous consequences in our polarized society in a low trust environment for these institutions, like I think it will have a big impact. And I think we should worry about it. Um, but yeah, there's nothing to do but, but follow the law on it. I do wonder whether or not it ultimately changes how Biden's thinking about 2024. Do you think, do either of you well, think? Well, I don't know, right? So when we were with our, our buddy, Johnny Fabs down in Los Angeles, he seemed, 100% resigned to the idea that Biden was running. Is that what you picked up from him? Yeah. He was very he was, about that. He was <laughs> unhappy about it, and he seemed to believe it was a done deal. What do you people think? <laughs> uh, For sure. Right? No, I mean, it is a done deal. I mean, he's running, and he hasn't announced it, but he's running. I mean, like, they're... And you don't think this okay, is a different love, kind of problem said, look, for I him? Look, I love Johnny Fowles. We put him through the ringer. I don't know if you've listened to it today, but, you know, we gave him all the tough questions about this, and because... Like the reality, like dude is going to be 82, and I, like they're legitimate questions. Um, our friend Bill Crystal has been asking some of those legitimate questions. He may or may not have been getting some friendly calls from some of these people in the White House, being like, "Chill out, Bill. Okay, nothing wrong here. All right, we're all cool." And uh, and like Favreau has been getting those calls. Everyone has because he's running, right? Like he's running, and and that's that's just and and so I don't think like the the fact that he wanted the FBI to go do this, I think is even more of a sign that, that he's running, right? It's like, we need to get our, our ducks in a row. And like, he's decided that this is, like, this is what he's gonna do. Okay, but they haven't handled this particularly well or in a way that inspires... No, I mean, right out of the gate, they should have said, this has nothing to do with the White House. This has nothing to do with Joe Biden as president. These are old documents. Yeah, they didn't. <laughs> it was in his house. It was in his garage. Yeah, it's like Hunter. Hunter was like smoking crack on the Corvette, and like the docks are on the like in the next room over. Like, like you can't pretend like it wasn't. But why wouldn't they? Dis- I don't know. That's I don't. From a calm standpoint, distancing the White House and the current uh, no, work from he, it. Because no, he here's the thing. It. My guess is that they were. He was like using it for his memoir or something. Right? Isn't that yeah, why you keep all those documents? I mean, we classify way too much shit, okay? So, like, that's part of the problem. Like, there's a lot of stuff in there. It's probably, like, Joe, Joe Biden being like, this is malarkey. It's like an email replying to something. And it's like, that's classified, you know? And, like, 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 we classify way too much shit. There's a lot of government bureaucracy. Libertarian Tim is coming out right now. We should cut back on all that shit. Like, yeah, but probably Libertarian Tim like, didn't think that about Trump's documents. 
Well, yeah, but I mean, I, I actually didn't. Like, I think if you go back to them, like, I never thought it was that big. If Donald Trump wants to bring his fucking love letters to Kim Jong-un down to Mar-a-Lago <laughs> to show some cougars, like, is that really that big of a deal? Like, well, I we don't, don't know that I that's what he I don't think that that's that big of a deal. I, I do think it's a big deal if the FBI is like, hey, we, we think well, you have subpoenaed. some things there that are important that we need to see. Or I do think it's a big deal if, like, Jared is giving some nuclear documents to MBS in order to get, you know, to get some money, right? Like, like there, are thing, there's certain, there are secret things that are secret and important, but, like, we have a lot of shit that's, like, not that important. But we don't know, either in Trump's case or in Biden's case, how much of it was we don't. cougar letters versus, like, real stuff. And so I, I think we have to reserve judgment on how bad it is that these things were just lying around. It's and not good. It it's is going good, to come into the, play in the Hunter Biden investigation now. I just, I just think it is a real problem for them, and they have to... I, right now, I have not been inspired with confidence by the way they've handled it. What would you like them to do? Uh, well, I think maybe have known that the documents were there, <laughs> yeah, like, before. Yeah, like, not fuck up. Okay. I mean, like, they if, fucked up, and it's like, now they're here. I, I mean, it's just, it, just, it just they feels like somebody was sitting there, and they were like, oh, they might prosecute Trump over these documents. Do you think we have any classified documents? <laughs> somebody should go check. No, <laughs> I mean... Yeah, I mean, Joe Biden's been in office for 60 years. They, oh, well, <laughs> like, there could be documents everywhere. And he was getting yes. briefed on classified shit in like 1968. Okay, but so this is, so this is ultimately though, ultimately this is the point, which is that everybody basically is like, well, I think, guess everybody just has these documents lying around. What Trump did is not that bad. And if they prosecute him for it, people are going to be like, what is going on? Who cares about the, the, the Does it sound like I'm yelling into this the, microphone? Yeah. <laughs> this is like, I can like hear my voice reverberating back. Trump to me. was subpoenaed by a court. Don't and explain the difference to me. I'm just okay. telling you. <laughs> All right, let's let's move on. Okay. It seems to me this is a, a radical topic shift that the Republican Party is reconsidering its armistice with the gays. <laughs> Does that seem right to you guys or no? Like one of the oddities of the Trump candidacy was that like he was friendly to gay people. He comes up from New York. We have pictures of him in drag with Rudy, right? And he, you know, he like he had his own pride flag and all that. And he didn't really care. He's so transactional. He didn't care about any culture war stuff unless it was getting him votes. And gay stuff didn't get him any votes. And now trans stuff did. Trans stuff did, right. And now we have Ron DeSantis in Florida who seems to think that there's a lot of votes to be had in gay stuff. And other on-the-make Republicans seem to be thinking the same thing. And the polling looks like it's turning around a little bit in the Republican electorate too, right? You know, we had Republicans basically making their peace on gay marriage and now looks like maybe they're reconsidering that. What, what do you think? Is this... Is I don't think happening? anybody's reconsidering gay marriage, really. I, I, I mean more broadly. I mean more broadly the whole idea that like, yeah, we're over the gay stuff, let's move on to the next fight. I just think the, the, fight, the, the, the fight has moved to something new, right? So the more people than ever believe and support gay marriage, including among Republicans, including like, you know, younger Republicans. The fight now is the way that sort of uh, the gay stuff gets rolled into like the woke conversation. And woke, if you had to define it, <laughs> is I think anything that like originates in a college like campus, right? Or like from a professor, <laughs> like that is, 
I think that's what it is. I'm pretty sure. And so, like, what it is, I think right? It's, it's like the, caring what black people think. Is what. I, I don't. I should ask more people to define woke. Actually, now that I think about it, I don't. It's know a good focus group question. It is a good focus group question because people use the word a lot. But I think that the the question is right. There are so there are people who still want to be hostile to gay people, but there are sort of new roots into it that are more broadly popular than just opposing gay marriage or being against gay people in general. And it's things like what they're doing in Florida, right? With uh, we don't want teachers to be able to talk about being gay. They can't sort of have pictures of their spouses in the classroom because, and they, so kids are now the entryway, which is why everybody talks about groomers. And so like, it's a different, it's a, it's the battlefield has moved. It's in a different place. And it's in a place where it is, sounds more rational to a larger group of people. Like the, the whatever, the don't say gay bill, whatever the real name of it was, uh, down in Florida had like 60 some percent support. And I think that if Ron DeSantis, well, he will stay on that battlefield, right? He will say this is not about gay people. He may even say he thinks it's fine for gay people to get married, but he will talk about kids. Actually, this could end up being a problem for DeSantis. Yeah. Uh, because like, I, I, Trump continued to prove in the 2016 campaign that like, people do not, well, I feel weird saying about this in a church, I hope the lightning bolt doesn't come down. <laughs> like, the people are not, do not want Christian freaks. <laughs> Right. Okay, like lecturing about sexual morality and hectoring about sexual morality. It was like Trump's, one of Trump's insights was that like they, uh, people thought Ted Cruz was creepy and weird. Yeah. Okay. And Mike Pence. Like, like, and Mike Pence. Like there's yeah. a certain percentage of people that were really into that, but not a majority. Um, and, and that like Trump kind of, you know, zagging away from that a little bit, you know, and picking his fights, you know, uh, uh, you know in areas where, you know, like on the trans issue where, where he thought he had, you know, more support. Um, I think allowed him to kind of expand that popular support. Like DeSantis, I, like the DeSantis thing might be creeping into like the creepy Ted Cruz territory. So I'm just, like, I'm not sure that that's smart. And and I think that like so when I went to the TPUSA thing in Florida, um, and I got to spend some time with the gays against groomers. It's a sad. <laughs> that was sad. That was that made, It really was. I'm laughing that it was really sad. It made me sad. It's, it's funny and sad. Um, and, and so I was like, we, were, we, we had a little semicircle going in the hallway, and I was like trying to understand why they were you know, participating in their own demonization and asking them questions. And, and as the conversation was going, one of the things that came up, I was, like, I was like, these fucking assholes that are going on stage that you're here supporting, like, they don't want you to be able to adopt kids. Like going forward, like gay marriage might be like quasi settled, but like they're they they're still fighting that fight. And they're like, no, no, that's not true. Nobody wants that. And it was like three three weeks later, like just yesterday, Matt Walsh sends a tweet that's like, gay like gay people should not be allowed to adopt, and linked to an article about like two gay guys that did something really bad to a kid. And it's like, oh man, straight people have never molested a kid. Let me tell you that. Um, we should probably we should probably have a law to ban this now. I think the Catholic Church. Is and so I. I, I, I church is this? <laughs> what, kind of, what kind of church are we in? Um, I sent um, and so I sent, I sent them, we friended each other, and it's good. I was like, let's keep this dialogue open, gays against groomers, get your head out of the gutter, um, because like, I need to know what's happening out there, and, uh, and I sent them the link, and they're like, 
Yeah, that's that's bad. You are right. Like point, <laughs> you point. You are right on that one. Uh, but I, I just like the Walsh thing was over. Like the Daily Wire is extremely popular, and that was overwhelmingly popular. And I do think that they feel like there is a backlash, and we'll get into this with Dan in a little bit. Um, to like the increasing identification of, of LGBT kids in schools, like that makes parents uncomfortable. It makes grand, some certain grandparents uncomfortable. And I think that they think that there's an opening there. Um, but I just, I think it's very easy to slip from like the Ron DeSantis territory that was kind of popular, like on its face into the Matt Walsh territory where it's like, you are a creep. <laughs> stay away from me. And like, that is not where the country is anymore. And so I, I don't know that it actually is going to be a winner. Long, but it's not a question term. about whether the country's there. It's about whether the Republican primary voters are there. And right? that's, there. that's the real question. And I assume that somebody will try to come and outbid DeSantis in, in a oh, primary sure. on, on this stuff, right? And I guess what I'm asking well, is... Mike Pence won't even be in a room with a woman alone. So I think he's got everybody's right flank covered on... <laughs> With his 1%, yes. Uh, <laughs> all right, so we, uh, I, you know, there are many very fine political podcasts. One of them is John Favreau's Pod Save America, which, uh, yeah, don't clap that hard. <laughs> which often has these two people as guests on. I don't exist, so. <laughs> uh, I, I don't get invited He's on not at all Pod Save America, it. ever. Uh, so I hear, I'm, I'm not myself on Twitter, Yep. But uh, my Shabbos Twitter tells me that you were being ratioed. <laughs> ratioed. For suggesting that. Hard uh, ratio. The Did other, you look at it? Oh, well, yeah. I've been monitoring. Other it's getting worse and worse by the hour. <laughs> <laughs> you, you are in trouble for saying that other Republicans could beat Joe Biden. Do better, Sarah. True or false? <laughs> <laughs> Defend yourself. Uh, I, it's my first time on Pod Save America, so I wasn't as familiar with their audience, but uh, if you, you cannot say something like other Republicans can beat Joe Biden. Uh, but the thing was, so it's, let's tone down on the range. It was like a hundred, it's like getting very low engagement. It's like 125 to one. I mean, that was before Tim started retweeting yeah. it. I'm going to, yeah. we're going to pull up the numbers. You, can, you, you defend yourself. I'll pull up the ratio number here. We'll, we'll, we'll. Uh, one of the things about clips on Twitter, for those of you who aren't on, is they are often submitted without the full context of the conversation. Oh my gosh, that sounds crazy. Uh, <laughs> Elon's going to fix that, right? <laughs> uh, and look, if, if right now, I'm sorry, I don't know what to tell people about the fact that like, I've listened to voters, Democratic voters and swing voters, and yes, Republican voters a lot over the last few years, and Joe Biden's age is an actual problem. If Joe Biden is running against Donald Trump, who's also a very old man, I think Joe Biden could, could beat Donald Trump. I think he also could potentially not, but I think he can. And I think in 2016, I also, I began the conversation, the part that was cut out was me being like, I think Joe Biden saved America. I think Joe Biden has been a pretty good president. Like, I think a lot of good things about Joe Biden. Um, the 244,000 people who have viewed this clip didn't get to catch, didn't catch that <laughs> caveat. Just want to let you know, monitor That's it now. Fine. You're four to one against. That's fine. I believe the, I believe the thing that I said. <laughs> I'm not like, well, it's, this is true. Uh, so I think, I think, and I do think in 2016, Joe Biden was the only Democrat who could beat Donald Trump. I both no longer think that that's true, right? I think if somebody else ran against Donald Trump in 2024, who was 
uh, a younger, fresh face, maybe a Midwestern governor who just won her race by, Who's you know. very tall. Uh, yeah. Like, I'm just saying there are people now in a way that I think they're prior to 22, like 22 gave the Democrats a new bench. And so I think that there are other Democrats who could beat Donald Trump yeah, no, now. I totally agree. Midwestern Trump voters from I'm sorry, 2020, I meant 2020 before, are going to totally cotton on to a woman for president. That's, uh, that checks out. Okay. <laughs> she just <laughs> dominated. Yeah, I, I just, did great. What are you talking about? Yeah, I, I don't agree with that. But so my, my point is, is that other people could beat Donald Trump. I also think that, uh, that Joe Biden would fare very well against Donald Trump likely. But I think if he runs at 82 years old, against a 46-year-old governor who just won by 20 points. And look, these guys are all untested. Like, just for a like, quick pause. It's pretty weird that Ron DeSantis is 46, right? He's I mean, he looks like 44. 44. He looks like he could be 58. He's like what is he? What he was, is he, he like eating? A, he was like, in, like when I was a freshman in college. What is skincare he was routine? I, it's, <laughs> and it just makes me very uncomfortable that Ron DeSantis and me are like Pierce. Oh, no, I know what he does. Yeah. I, I see myself as much more youthful than him. Tim, what he likes to do is... He likes to take the faces of, of babies and they put them on his, <laughs> and drapes them on his face the frazzle like that. Drip. He uses frazzle drip. He frazzle drip. Yes, drip. That's, yeah. that's how he achieves that part. Yeah. I'm look, sorry to interrupt. That's right. It just like, still not, freaks not, me out. I think partly, I was a little definitive. I like went back and looked at it and I was like... You're oh. a little definitive. Because I was like, I think any Republican not named Donald Trump, I think, could beat Joe Biden. And I think that's not true. Okay, like, let's go through it. Mike Pence. <laughs> or sorry, uh, Santos cannot beat Joe Biden, right? Like, how about Mike Pence? Could Mike Pence beat yeah. Joe Biden? I don't think so. Yeah, how about Mike Pompeo? I don't know. You guys haven't seen any of these people Christy yet. Nome. They're like Blake's. <laughs> so I was thinking Lauren in my Bobert. head. We had just we had just finished we had just finished a whole conversation about DeSantis and Yunkin and some of the governors, right? Who I think, uh, you know, there are there are people uh, who are who could be front runners who would be tough for Joe Biden to beat out of sheer age comparison. Right? He did not have to campaign. You never like it when I say this, but this is just true. The, the, the pandemic changed the dynamics of that race. He did not have to get out there and campaign. Being on a presidential campaign schedule at 82, that is brutal. Do you know how often people will talk about the fact that he would be 86 at the end of his term, how much it will matter who his vice president is? Suddenly it will matter a great, great deal. And so the idea if he is stacked up against a 46-year-old governor or a I don't know how old Glenn Youngkin is, but whatever. If he's up against somebody who, I just think that is a really tough contrast, and I think I'd have a hard time seeing him winning. We're not sure yet, because we don't know what these people are going to be like, but that's tough. So I think that is almost indisputably true. Tim, I would what are the, so he would I'd what are the you, you agree with her? Oh. You think oh, Ron yeah. DeSantis would definitely you should, like, be show how much definitely. you like, hate it I, when he agrees with me. It's okay. Okay. <laughs> The surprise. I think DeSantis. You are you are just browbeating fabs over the fact that Joe Biden was a better president than Barack Obama just two nights ago, and now you're ready to have him get beaten to like Ron DeSantis, like the penguin, this like whiny whiny voice waddling on stage, <laughs> not letting people learn about Black history. Like that guy's really gonna win? I don't, I don't know. I'm just, so I, I, don't, I don't I don't buy it. Okay. Is all I'm I also saying. just Ron DeSantis is like smart enough that he would not run on like. You don't, it's too late. He's got to beat Donald Trump in a primary. No, that's true. That's true. There are a lot like of dynamics. There's tapes now. So this you know, is true that there, there's a whole bunch of dynamics that we don't know yet, right? But uh, one dynamic that I am certain of is the dynamic of somebody who is 82 years old stacked up against somebody who's 46 or, or anybody under 65. I mean, and that can, that's a tough dynamic. I concur. It's not great. 
It's pretty old. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty, he's old. He's just old. And it was a little bit flummoxing. I will say, uh, we're picking on poor Fabs when he's not here. It was a little bit concerning to me. I, I thought that Fabs was like the stand-in when we were interviewing him for like every Democratic operative who's smart that I talked to. And it's like, we're a little worried about the fact that he's 82, right? And he's like, yeah. And it's like, we're a little worried about the fact that Kamala hasn't exactly proven herself, right? And he's like, yeah. And like, what's the plan? Eh, we'll see what happens. Like, it feels like... <laughs> Feels like a pretty big risk with Ron DeSantis like, and these guys hanging out there. And that, so that is concerning. That said, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I certainly don't think we can sit here right now and be like, certainly in 2024, 82 year old Joe Biden couldn't beat Ron DeSantis. I, like, I think Ron DeSantis might wear like very poorly. <laughs> you know, I mean, like Ron DeSantis might be the type of person that like, Seems okay over there, like where he's yelling at the woke reporter on TV, and you're like, you see one 12 second clip of him, and then Ron DeSantis, and you're like, man, that, or it's like the person at the at school where you're like, uh, they made a good, you know, that dad over there made a good comment, uh, yelling at the ref during the soccer match. Maybe being that dad could be friends, and you invite him over to dinner, and he starts talking. You're like, this person is fucking horrible. <laughs> Like, I don't want to spend another second with this person. Like, I just, I just don't know that Ron DeSantis is going to wear that well. I don't think it's that, it's certainly assured that just because he's younger, and he's going to have to run the primary against Biden where he runs his right on vaccines, his right on immigration, he runs his right on race. That's really going to play in, the, in, in this country where, like, Democrats won every key Senate seat? Like, he's going to do better than... Dr. Oz? I don't know. Donald Santa seems kind of Dr. Oz-ish to me. Isn't he like, is he any different than Blake Masters who just lost? Yeah, Blake Masters lost and he won in his state by 20 points. And people have, there has become yeah, but this he's like, running in Florida. Right. That's, <laughs> but you know what? I, I hear this in, I hear this in the groups all the time when they talk about why they like Ron DeSantis and they're like, they still see Florida in their minds. Like, Florida's a place with hanging chads. It is a swing state to them that Ron DeSantis turned blood red. The free state of Florida has reached mythic proportions in the imagination of Republican voters. And also... That's like 23 so years ago. So hold on a second. The just, I know, that's fine. There are people yeah. here that weren't born. Ron, Ron, DeSantis, Ron DeSantis... Maybe one person here that wasn't yeah. born. Though. Do you know what to remember the, between Gillum and DeSantis the first round? How close it was? Yeah, yeah. Gillum almost won, and then he kind of had like a little mess. A little bit of a problem. Yeah. But the point is, is it was close. It was close. People, people don't, people see him sort of pulling uh, Florida as like a corollary to Texas. But hold on a second. Donald Trump did not lose to Joe Biden by that much. That's true. I was there. Yeah. That was concerning. It's concerning, right? I was nervous, yeah. So what happens when you don't have Donald Trump to drive the kind of turnout, the opposition I just think there's a lot to come. All I'm saying is, who the fuck knows? Like, the MAGA people might not turn up for Ron DeSantis. It's like, Ron DeSantis is really less creepy than Blake Masters. I just, like, he was running against Charlie Crist, who was, like, the creepiest person that the Democrats put up (laughs) out of of every candidate in the entire country. So it wasn't a great contrast. I just don't, I just, I'm just saying, you just feel a little bit, a little bit overconfident. So let me, hold on. I want to steers away. Hold on. We're running out of time. Good show. Long show. Um, (laughs) Why is it that nobody seems to think that the Republican race is susceptible to another outsider? So this has been like one of my pet theories. Like everybody thinks that Trump or DeSantis and if DeSantis fades then Pence or Nikki Haley or something. Why not Candace Owens? And I, 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 and I, I mean this, like, you know, Candace Owens is just a stand-in for, like, some popular figure from the conservative cinematic universe, right? Why not Tucker? Why, why do we think that there wouldn't be some 
you know, out of these lanes disruptor who comes in, especially because DeSantis is, as you say, like not the kind of guy who talks very well or I think is charismatic and would wear very well. I, I agree with you. I, don't, I agree with you. I, I don't, nobody else was, the reason, the answer to your question is the reason is because of the people that are currently thinking about running for president, Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump are the only ones who could plausibly win a Republican primary. Everybody else has zero chance. Sorry. Um, I know you're really rooting for Nikki Haley at the Los Angeles <laughs> event. Yeah, like me and Sarah got this I little fight. Sarah's like, I was like, I think Nikki Haley's ceiling is three. And she's like, no, I think it's nine. I was like, <laughs> okay, maybe nine. she can I get just... nine. I don't know. Maybe she can get nine. None of these fuckers can win. Mike Pompeo can't win. Mike Pence can't win. Nikki can't win. Chris Christie can't win. What about Larry, Larry Hogan, Hogan can't win. Larry, yeah. Why none do you have to be so mean them, to Larry Hogan? None of them can win. <laughs> Okay. It's a wonderful like person. you have like the party has changed. It's time for everybody to move on. Like so, they're all out, right? So, uh, so DeSantis is the only one that has successfully navigated the mega pivot, right? And so the theory, the thing is that I think all those other people are hoping the Mike Pompeo's of the world, like he's just staying up late at night, like drinking his little protein shakes or whatever it was to get him <laughs> to lose so much weight, getting grumpy because he's not getting any calories anymore, and thinking like. Maybe if Ron, if everyone else is as annoyed as Ron DeSantis as I am, and Donald Trump dies from a cheeseburger, <laughs> then people will turn to me. And like, no, that's not what would happen. They would, they would go, there'd be another MAGA person that would emerge. Right. Like, that's where the party is. So I agree with you. I think that the third outside MAGA person is the only other option. Hey, everybody, we're back. I, is one of these waters mine, or is that? Uh, you can have both. Uh, okay. I'd like to introduce you to Dan Savage, local legend. Uh, Dan Savage has been a columnist writing about sex advice for what, 72 years? 72 years. I've laughed Dan Landers yeah, now twice here. as long. Sort of the It Gets Better project, which is very true for me in particular, but also <laughs> for a lot of gay people. And uh, what else? Do you, do you have anything else you want to you pimp right uh, now? I've hosted the Savage Lovecast for 16 years. Oh, Everything I've done is 16 I've been doing years forever. the Savage yeah, Lovecast. Groundhog Day Life. I'm so excited for him to come. Do you guys know the backstory between me and Dan? We kind of have a little frenemy vibe. Do you guys know? Okay, good. We're going to share that real quick. I have some <laughs> screenshots um, that I want to share. Um, so, Where are you sharing them? Uh, uh, I'm just on my little phone. Oh, okay. I'm going to read them. Uh, so let's just take back to closeted Republican gay Tim. Let's just put ourselves in 2006 for a second, okay? Um, I'm in like J. Crew critter pants, okay? They might be so pleated. hungry for cock. You're vibrating on television. <laughs> they might be pleated. I'm wearing fake glasses. Look a little older. Um, I moved to DC to work with Sarah. I, I'm coming out of the closet. There's only one gay person that works with besides her. She's a lesbian. You can't ask her about anything. He's a square. I'm trying to figure out what to do. I don't, I don't know where it goes. I know nothing. I know nothing. I have no you gay friends. You should have been reading my column all that time. You I start reading your column. And I was like, damn. I was like, oh my God. I was like, now I know where, you know, which hole it goes in. I'm like, <laughs> I'm learning everything. I'm learning about gay culture. I'm learning about gay sex. I was like, thank God for Dan Savage. I didn't know who to talk to. I finally had the courage to come out. I met people. You were a key part of that. I'm just so grateful. <laughs> He's so great. But no, do it, though. No, no, no. You deserve it. You this deserve is about it. to so turn great. a corner. It is. It is. 
Nine years later, eight years later, I'm out of the closet. I am a proud gay Republican, probably the most visible gay Republican in America, and I got a great job. It was me, Jeb Bush's communications director. We all love Jeb? Yeah. <laughs> Jeb, 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 okay. And uh, it's my big day. Politico announces the news, and with my friends, we're at dinner or drinking. I pull up Twitter, and I was like, oh boy, okay. Uh, let's see what it says here. It's fake Dan Savage. Uh, not naive, Tim can probably find some POS to suck his cock, but in a perfect world, no one would fuck a gay dude working to elect Jeff Bush. <laughs> I stand by that. That's a great tweet, actually. That's a really good tweet. Some of the others aren't quite as, aren't quite as, uh, don't quite have the same je ne sais quoi, you know? How does Tim sleep at night? Um, let's see, uh, update that resume, Tim. Jeb is tanking, you'll be out of a job, exclamation point soon. That's pretty good, yeah. that's pretty good. Anyway, that hurt my feelings. Um, you know, cause I was like, oh man, maybe I've let, I guess I've let Dan Savage down. Um, and uh, then... Gay Republicans always let me down. Yeah. <laughs> in every, uh, every conceivable fashion or well, no, in just, any way in particular? <laughs> just the useful idiocy of gay Republicans to the Republican Party. And it was obvious to me what the Republican Party was doing when it would brandish, when it would push forward a gay Republican to be the spokesman. Or when the Republican Party would like make Michael Steele the head of the RNC right after Obama got elected. It was to inoculate the Republican Party against the completely legitimate charge of the crime the Republican Party was guilty of, of homophobia, political homophobia, and racism. And I could see it, and it, I knew that you were smart enough that you could see how you were being used and used and weaponized to harm other gay people by electing Republicans who would then do us and you harm. And you were fine with that on some level? Not just fine with it, I want to read a part of your book oh, to you. Oh, we're going to the book already? I wasn't even done with my bit yet. Go ahead. I, I love this book, and I love you now you. in part because... Not everybody does this work. Not everybody does this self-excavation. <laughs> but you really unpack like what's going on with closeted gay Republicans here. And out gay Republicans, many of them. I had one or two encounters. Okay, fine. Definitely two at college. Uh, that I'm One I'm trying to mentally expunge. But if anything, <laughs> those encounters drove me deeper into the closet. They made me more embarrassed, more self-conscious, more ashamed. And this is the key more hostile to people who were open about their sexuality because I couldn't have what they had. So a lot of gay Republicans, there was this, closeted or not, rage at out gay people who had what they couldn't have, didn't have, wouldn't allow themselves to have, and people who got organizationally involved in Republican politics who were gay were seeking revenge, not against straight politicians who would seek to harm them, but against gay people who wouldn't fuck them or who saw what they were doing by getting into bed with the Republican Party. Oh. Boy. 
So a couple of years after that, Dan had me on his podcast, and he just did that. And I just sat there and turned purple, and you I was started. like, you got me. We you got me. Guilty. There's so much uh, else we could have started with. Know, you yeah, started with yeah, this. Yeah, no, it's a little bit more. Uh, I mean, that is true. And, I didn't, and it's funny. Even as a out gay uh, Republican, I, I saw, and I should have seen it myself, right? Because I saw exactly what you see in the other gay Republican. Sarah, God love her looks at the best in people, trying to do the log cabin Republican thing. I couldn't do that because you could sense that in a social setting with gay Republicans, like what was the animating element for all of them, right? Like it was kind of bitterness. It was yep. bitterness towards like the uh, other gays, right? And so this was kind of like a way to take it out on them. I never really actually had that feeling like they did. I was just an ambitious asshole that wanted to be the White House press secretary, which isn't any better, I guess, but like it's different in a social setting, right? And I, I identified, and I identified that so clearly and like was never, I never went to the, you know, gay parties. So I don't like have any good gossip for you guys about Aaron Shock or anything. Like I never did any of that, right? Like because, uh, for that exact reason. But, um, I was just, I was happy you had me back on. And the thing that I was curious about is the reason why you invited me on your podcast, what started this, kind of, you know, decade-long trajectory from, you know, mentor to frenemy to, like, aspiring pal. We'll see how the night goes. Um, uh, the night is was, was that you, like, like us now. Like, where are your pe- You, like, listen to Charlie. Like, you, like, wake up. It's Tuesday. You're like, I want to hear what Charlie Sykes and A.B. Stoddard have to say. I, I do. So, explain that Not to just me. Charlie How did that Sykes happen? Not just Charlie Sykes and A.B. Stoddard, like, Bill fucking Crystal. Bill Crystal? I'm excited when Bill Crystal's on the show. How do you do? What is happening? What, how do you explain that? I mean, it's nice to see people who tried to rub your nose in shit for decades eating shit, which is <laughs> part of the joy of the, of the bulwark or the scales falling from all y'all's eyes and suddenly you seeing what everybody else saw all along, I- including... The rate, like this is uh, this is one of my questions for later. I don't want to like. Okay, don't ruin it. This is what I didn't understand about people who were seemed to be good people. That was my impression of you when I would see you on TV, and you're such a great writer. I would like. There's a decent person in there somewhere <laughs> who is refusing to see what is blazingly obvious, and so obvious that if you're Refusing to see it, you're either so stupid you can't, and you're not stupid, or malevolent on some level, or something else is going on. And for me, it was like, when I was 15 years old, Ronald Reagan ran for president and gave a speech endorsing states' rights in Philadelphia, Mississippi, where uh, civil rights activists um, had been murdered. And that was only 16 years after the passage of the Civil Rights Act in 1964. Everybody knew that states' rights meant segregation, Jim Crow, bans on interracial relationships, racist violence. And Ronald Reagan ran on that, endorsed that. So Trump isn't some aberration. The Republican Party, since Nixon, since LBJ, has been trafficking in racist dog whistle. You know the famously Atwater interview. And whatever else you might 
agree with Republicans on about the Cold War or spending or a certain kind of conservatism to crawl into bed with people who worshipped Ronald Reagan. Trump wasn't the first one to throw away the dog whistle and pick up the bullhorn and call the racists into the Republican Party. It's not, it's not a, the last six years aberration. It's a 40, 50 year project of the Republican Party to bring us here to this place where we, now we have Ron DeSantis possibly running for president, ending African-American AP studies in Florida well, high schools. That's where I want to go before we get to our segment. So you, because you had that clarity we didn't have, um, but, you I, knew, I, but you knew it. You had to know, know it. I know, but, but a real clarity about the, the dangers of the enabling, right? Which I think is the key question, right? Because like, your point is right. The, the point of, um, you know, hey, like, Ronnie was right about the Cold War. You know, we had some, he had some points, you know? I mean, we took down the, the Soviets. Not bad, right? So the question is, do, is, that, is it worth it? Is it, is it worth it to then be in, still in coalition with the, with the dark part of it, right? And like that was, you know, always the thing that, that those of us that were involved were navigating, um, I think incorrectly, that, that, that you saw clearly. But so I'm curious now, you know, that we're, you know, obviously I've had like this insane progress in the meantime, right, to where we are. Um, we're all kind of sitting on here on stage now with our gay kids and our, you know, boyfriends and our boyfriends' boyfriends and our marriages and all that. Um, <laughs> Well, Our marriages, it wouldn't have happened if your guy Romney had won. <laughs> okay. If your guy Jeb had no, no, John won. Roberts. If your guy McCain John had Roberts won. John Roberts did pretty good. Um, what, uh, um, uh, like, what's your take? Like, we were just talking about that, about this, like, pivot to the DeSantis and the don't say gay. Like, how, how do you kind of, like, as someone that has, has a little bit of remove, like, assess, you know, like, where you think that things are going with, like, the current Republican Party as they, like, you know, had a period of quasi, not truce, but quasi, you know, like, maybe making the gays not the main character anymore. Like, wh- where do you think that goes for the next Well, they're not making years? us, it's not that they're, they want to make us the main character. Once no. again, they'd rather talk about butt-fucking than just about anything else, right? <laughs> Hunter's penis, maybe. <laughs> Hunter's penis, <laughs> which I think has seen the inside of a few butts. <laughs> and... There may be proof on that laptop that we're all going to get to see because it's all the Republicans want to talk about. Um, It's distressing to watch, to see how easily revived the gays as pedophiles, gays as recruiters. When I was, you know, 12, 13 years old, I was that kid Harvey Milk talked about when he talked about there's a kid who opens a newspaper who's thinking about suicide or thinking about the closet as the only two options. And then he opens a newspaper and sees that a gay guy got elected to the San Francisco Board of Supervisors mm-hmm. and thinks, ah, I have a new option, which is move to San Francisco, right? I was literally that kid. My, Wait, I thought you and Harvey were peers. No, no, no I'm like a little younger than he is. <laughs> <laughs> I got my time. I got my... <laughs> the gloves are off. I had to check the calendar. Again. Sorry. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I was that kid, right? My parents, my dad thought Anita Bryant was right. My dad was a Chicago homicide detective in the 60s and 70s. And like the only gay people he ever met were corpses or murderers. And he, that was when most gay people were still closeted. And he thought Anita Bryant was right, that like gay people right. recruited children and were pedophiles. And he would say those things in front of me when I was 12, and I already knew I was gay. Um, 
And it was a real weird head fuck to be that kid thinking your parents, they say, I love you. And you're like, no, you don't. I know you don't. You already told me you don't. And to hear him say these things about Anita Bryant was really devastating. And I forget what the question was. Uh, to take us to the current political oh, lines, like how we're coming back. And to we that. seem to get past that, like gays as yeah, right. by coming out and doing the, you know, our, deploying our secret weapon, which is being embedded in every family, right, yeah. being randomly distributed through the population. <laughs> If two in my family, yeah, uh, maybe sometimes not luck. so randomly. Yeah. There is a genetic component. All the science points that direction. Or maybe a domineering mother component. Hopefully, <laughs> she's not listening. Hi, mom. <laughs> that could be a coincidence <laughs> and a data point, not necessarily. Um, you know, I had that, and and to see how easily it's been revived, and how the Republicans have. Divided fan, like we, our movement for civil rights advanced farther and faster than any other movement for civil rights ever because of that secret weapon, because we were talking to our parents and our siblings and QAnon, Trump, all of these, all the shit that we've seen in the last six years drove a wedge into families that now they're pouring this into. Yeah. And it's, gay kids who may have already been estranged from their boomer parents because of the Trump voting QAnon shit, their parents are being turned against them now yeah. uh, in a way that I didn't think was possible six years ago. And it's really distressing. It's really scary. That's uplifting. Okay, uh, I agree with you. It is. I guess I want to get to the next thing, but, but just on that point really quick, like... I, so it wasn't just me. I mean, I, one of my rationalizations, you know, which was wrong, obviously, but one of my rationalizations for doing what I was doing was like, you know, the arc of gay history is like already moving towards fabulousness, you know, like we're already, like it's heading our direction. It hasn't all quite happened yet, but like the trends are all moving in the right direction. I don't need to really worry about that stuff that much. It was one of my like rationalizations, which I, I look back on and have regrets about, but I, I genuinely believed, like, it was a rationalization sense that, like, I wanted that to be, you know, to justify me, like, working with these homophobic assholes, but it also was something I thought was true, right, that, like, that we're on this inexorable path of progress, which, like, obviously we are not, right? Did it catch you as off guard as me? It did. I'm, I've been shocked by how effective the groomer bomb was when it was dropped by some bizarre face-tuned spokesperson for DeSantis who seemed to be improvising at that moment. Yeah, yeah with the giant lip filler things. And you, it seemed to just occur to her into the moment to throw that word out there, yeah. and it went off like a it went off like a bomb. Uh, we're going to end on a high note here. You have a really fun bit on Twitter that you do, mm -hmm. uh, where when there's an obituary, uh, it's a very uplifting bit, uh, you say, this is... Not the obit that I was hoping for today. Not the obituary I wanted to read Not today. Not the obituary you wanted to read today. Um, are there any obituaries in particular you're wanting to read? You know, there was some graffiti that went up in my neighborhood, and I know the person who did this stenciling in what? my neighborhood. Um, it wasn't me, uh, but a me-adjacent person. Um, went up about a month into Donald Trump's first and only term as president, and it, all it said was, one day we will wake up to his obituary. 
And it gave me such hope for a future, right? <laughs> okay. That, so that's my, when I started to tweet, not the obituary so I wanted my, to read so today. And you know, so that, my, that graffiti didn't say whose obituary we would wake up to one day, but we all knew who they so meant. My, uh, so my final question then, um, uh, which will judge whether or not our friendship has really blossomed or not, is when it happens, can we FaceTime? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Thank y'all so much for coming. We're so grateful. Uh, we have to hug it out. We have to hug it out. Thank you, buddy.